darkly splendid abodes. The official podcast of Toronto Thelema. Exploring, if you will, practical philosophy. From science and the workings of the mind, to spirituality, esotericism, and magic. Stooping down, dipping my wings, I came into the darkly splendid abodes. The Book of the Law foretold of one to come, who would discover the key to its ciphers, and Crowley would come to believe this so-called child of the prophet was in fact Charles Stanfeld Jones. In his Lieber 31, Jones would recount his discovery of the key word that unlocks the Book of the Law. Join us as we explore this short but highly Kabbalistic text. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Love is the law, love under will. We are in for it. So today we are, uh, uh, we decided... I Let him have it. I guess the idea was, um, I think it was you who noticed that we had had Frater Achad coming up. That's uh, Charles Stansfeld Jones, also known as Jesus Stanfeld Christ. Also what? known as really? Yeah, I think it was uh, Russell. Uh, what's his face? Russell, who uh, called him that. Oh wow! Because Crowley was going on about him all the time. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Caddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, we, I think, as I was saying, I think it was you who noticed him coming up quite a bit this uh, term, <laughs> <laughs> this uh, season, this session. Yeah. <laughs> this season of our uh, um, deep dips, we had been uh, sort of indirectly referring to him, and so I think it was your idea that maybe we should just get it out of our system and do a couple of these just on him or his writings. Not a figure I've ever been particularly interested in, and I don't even know uh, why, because the idea that Crowley should have a ma magical son seems... Like, it should be interesting. I think I got distracted by the idea that they had had a falling out, um, which maybe meant that, uh, you know, you have to pick size. Like when, yeah, exactly. like when your friends break up and you, you know, you like him more than you like her. So you, yeah. Plus I, I, I want to be the magical child. Oh, I see. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, subconsciously. Okay. I don't think this is like a, I, I, I think consciously, I think it's a ridiculous notion to buy into that kind of thing for your, it's clearly egotism and uh, egomaniacal or whatever, whatever, megalomaniacal. Megalomaniacal. Megalotistical. <laughs> megalotistical. Megalotistical. Um, but I think, I think subconsciously I want to be, you know, important. And I wow. think that's probably a common <laughs> notion that a lot of people have. So maybe that's part of it too. Maybe. I um, I, I also think that um, I had heard some stuff about, oh yeah, um, Thelema Coast to Coast had done an interview with one of his adopted children, mm -hmm. or was it a grandchild? No, it was maybe one of his kids. Yeah, they had a, a bunch of, him and his wife had a bunch of adopted children. Yeah, and so this idea of like a like a reluctant Catholic hosting church meetings in his living room, never like 
hugging his children and then disappearing after dinner to do whatever, <laughs> which at the time I thought might be, you know, Enochian work or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I didn't, he seemed kind of like a little bit like a hermit to me and like kind of lonely and I didn't find it that inspiring. And I suppose that was maybe he was doing Great Brotherhood of God stuff mm-hmm. at that time, uh, but uh, he he never really touched me as a Thelema person. But there's stuff in here. We're going to look at uh, his Libra 31 today, which is confusing because the uh, photocopies of the manuscript of Libra Al are also called Libra 31, mm-hmm. whereas the published typescript is called Libra 220, I think. Yeah, and, and I so, think this probably came first before um, before the typescript started being called... Or sorry, not the typescript. Before the manuscript, the manuscript started being called 31? I think so. I would imagine so, because I think the whole idea of 31 being important came from this and from this these discoveries. Oh, okay. Cool. I could be mistaken. Keep in mind, people listening, that uh, we can be mistaken at any point. Well, this but, is pretty... Uh, um, there have already been two publications of Liberal by now, I think in the Equinox and in the book that is called... Thelema, was it a part of that? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think in the first publication, it was Liber L, but by the second, like just Liber Lamed. You know what? by the second publication, it was already called Liber Aleph Lamed. Yeah, I was looking, I was just looking at uh, the Equinox Volume 1, Number 7, because Achad, I'm going to refer to him as Frater Achad, because we need to narrow, (laughs) zero in on one name. He likes to call himself Partsaval all through this, so Mm, maybe it would be, would it be easier to say Partsaval, so we're not using too many names? Sure. He refers to the Equinox Volume 1, Number 7. I think he refers to it as Volume 7, but I think, you know, at the time, this is what we had for the Equinox, so it just kind of makes sense. So uh, he, it was kind of a vague reference to some kind of comment, but I, I was looking all through it, and I couldn't find what he was referring to. And he was just going off the top of his head, I think, from memory, so he might have even been mistaken. But I'm not sure exactly what particular book within there he was referring to. But my point being that... That's where Crowley had published the uh, manuscript. I just want to take a look at this and see, yeah, uh, just to be sure, because it would be interesting to discover if it was still called Liber 31, even at that time, and what would have motivated that. Yep, so it's um, the manuscript, but it's listed here as... Liber L, as you've stated. Oh, okay, so even in the Equinox, it's still Liber L. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, Subfigura 220. Okay. Yeah, so it's not giving it as uh, Liber 31 yet, which makes total sense. Like I say, I think this is where um, Achad has, sorry, Parzival has discovered the key to the Book of the Law. Being... Oh, this naming thing is going to be a mess. <laughs> it is, yeah. But um, I'll get there. Yeah, so... Uh, the keyword we're referring to is L, but not the letter L, the god name L. So Aleph Lamed. Yeah. So we're segueing here from our previous discussion about uh, Lushtel, uh, or Lashtal, I think we were saying, which was Lo Ale. And now uh, 
and and that that idea supposedly came from this, uh, from Lieber thirty one. So we're going here, but and we have Lo and L, but in this, but we don't have the uh, Shin uh, Teth. So that's uh, a little was a little bit surprising, uh, but we still get lots of mileage out of just the two <laughs> the mm-hmm. two words. So we should be fine. Yeah, I think the uh, the Shin Teth, or um, even more. Precisely, it was originally, I believe, uh, Sigma Theta. Uh, And I think that comes from Crowley's elaboration upon this. Okay. (laughs) It's it's an intricate web going on here. I wasn't sure whether to save this kind of tangent for like a a chat back episode. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's unbelievable how difficult... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this type of material is what you it's um it's not surprising that you know people get it wrong or get lazy about it or something because it, it's hard enough just to read uh magic without tears mm-hmm. or um one of the papers where crowley is doing his best to just tell you what he thinks in pretty plain language yeah because he's very articulate and very funny and he really enjoys writing and that joy comes through, uh, but the subject matter is difficult anyway. And his, uh, illustrations, um, you know, because the subject matter is difficult, the illustrations are difficult, but if you actually sort of try to start chasing down some of these, some of these, uh, the context of how, of how the work of Thelema was being done in this period, like during Crowley's lifetime, uh, you know, you're doing real the real work of a historian, chasing down diary fragments and correspondence, and you know, from people from all different sources of people who are maybe uh, have literary talents to varying degrees or different ideas about how to approach things. And so there's stuff in here that's uh, really, really foundational and like just sort of how I think about it. Yeah. Uh, and so it's cool to see where it originally comes from, not from Crowley, but from Jones. And then Crowley gets very inspired by it. But there's about four dates in here and conflicting information about what has happened on those dates. And he refers Mm -hmm. sort of opaquely to other places where things are written or to things Crowley said to him that he doesn't want to elaborate on because he knows Crowley's going to read it and he doesn't want to come off too bitchy. Like he's sort of being a bit (laughs) passive aggressive. And so, uh, so yeah, there's real... You have to be have have some background, some if not background in history, at least some understanding of what historical tools are to begin to approach mm-hmm. this stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, you and I both, I, we were both uh, sort of conservatory school school. <laughs> I think I uh, I did one year of university, and then I I, I did arts art school conservatory, and I think you kind of did the same same I, thing. I dropped out in high school and ended up going to film school. Yeah. much later. <laughs> so uh, uh, ill equipped for academia, but here we are. <laughs> so yeah, if anybody wants to uh, uh, rip us apart and everything like that, we'll we'll be glad to ignore you. Well, here's the problem. This is why I wanted to maybe save it for a talkback episode, but. The people that do have academic backgrounds, uh, <laughs> when they come to this material, they do just as poorly. Yeah. And why is it? Is it because they think they can get away with it? Like, are they lying to us on purpose? Or we know they have access to the texts. We know they're smart enough to understand them. And they just don't. They choose not to. <laughs> it's very, very weird. 
So I, I think it's important for us to establish, as much as I hate having to do too much kind of um, laying the groundwork, um, just really briefly, this is Frater Akkad. I Again, I did it. Parzival. Let's just, he, he's, we probably won't call him, you know, I-O-V-V-O-I <laughs> by like accident. Stop and think about it for a second. So again. his name is Jones or Akkad. Or parts of all, any of those, and 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 uh, and again, uh, uh, L A is <laughs> low or la, and it means not. Uh, a L is Al or L, and it means God. <laughs> so write that down. Yeah, <laughs> put it next to your computer. <laughs> uh, keep that in the forefront of your mind. But uh, actually, and on that point, just to set the stage, maybe we can start with the fact that the reason he, um, Charles Stanfield Jones has so many names that he's known by, particularly in this this and a few other papers, um, is that these are his initiatory names. So he was one of the earlier uh, members of the AA, uh, and uh, he was initially a student of JFC Fuller, and then when JFC Fuller left the AA, uh, he uh, Crowley basically took him directly. Was he Fuller's student? Yeah, that's Fuller. <laughs> Fucking all that up that hard. <laughs> Those diary notes are disastrous until Crowley takes them over. That's Fuller. Yeah. Fuller had no idea what he was doing. <laughs> so that I was thought, uh, the wow, man, the master of the temple. The uh, where. Uh, Akkad's uh, diary entries were published in uh, the Equinox 3-1 and, um, in, as the master of the temple. And yeah, initially it was Fuller, who was his, uh, his um, neophyte. And uh, so, I, okay, from what I understand, Akkad took the Oath of the Abyss while he himself was a neophyte, uh, which was a pretty uh, ballsy thing to do. And um, Crowley attributed his apparent success with, uh, uh, well, actually, he attributed it to Thelema and the Book of the Law as being a much more efficient and effective uh, passage, spiritual passage of progress. Uh, and then you can easily argue that uh, there was, you know, like we were talking about the fact that. Uh, you can you you feel obligated to take sides. So when there's a falling out between people, so taking Crowley's side, you'd be tempted to think that Akkad must have gone off the rails and all this sort of thing, uh, as a result of having taken the oath of the abyss so early on. And hey, maybe that's part of it. There was a period there where he was uh, spending time in a mental institute in 1917, and that's actually referred to in this indirectly. Is it? Yeah, that's the portion where he's talking about um, having been uh, found himself, thinking he was amongst Buddhas and and the enlightened, and then in in fact he was actually amongst the uh, the filth of the earth. Oh, so this is him, and he's talking about it being a prison when he thought he was free, but it's actually a mental institution. So apparently, just looking at you know, just uh, I don't know the full details or anything like that, but apparently he was. Uh, um, some some incident happened where he was acting very uh, erratically in a hotel, and uh, and he ended up being committed. But I think they also accused him of uh, being a draft dodger and pretending to be crazy. 
it never occurred to me to take that literally. <laughs> Holy smokes. Uh, well, I'm learning all kinds of new stuff today. Um, and so this uh, thing that happens in 1916, June 21st, 1916, that, that's concurrent with his neophyte period? I'm, this is the difficulty of it. It's like, because he refers right off the bat with this paper, he uh, quotes uh, something that he received in 1912, Era Vulgaris. And that was uh, I, obviously much earlier on. I think he initially was made a probationer in, I want to say 1909, but I don't know if it was that early or if it would have been 1912. And I'm not 100% on all of these dates. Um, but he doesn't work his way up through the grades that quickly, so by 1916, he's still a neophyte and decides to take the Oath of the Abyss. I guess so. I guess that's what we can infer. Uh, that's the story we're building. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, we're mainly going by this this paper rather than going, you know, doing a lot of digging into other things as well. So just give me a second here, because I'm very curious. Uh, Are you digging into other things as yeah. well? <laughs> So this paper, Lieber 31, while you're looking that up, I'll uh, just uh, set the stage here. This is um, once he's attained the Master of the Temple status, he um, has this uh, incredible revelation that uh, builds upon itself. And he discovers the keyword to the Book of the Law, as I've mentioned. And he writes this up and sends it to Crowley. But it was not published in Crowley's lifetime or anything like that. Apparently what happened, according to the internal uh, evidence that, uh, <clears throat> that he actually writes within the piece itself, he was asked for a copy of it by, uh, was it Gerald York or Kenneth Grant? Yeah, Gerald York who was a great collector of Crowleyana, and um, Gerald York said that uh, there should really be a copy of this existing in England. Um, so Achad made a typescript copy of it and uh, sent it to Gerald York, but he wanted to make it clear that they were not; it was not to be copied uh, without his express permission. And now the internet exists. <laughs> <laughs> and he is incapable of giving his express permission. <laughs> so it looks like um, the climax of the Master of the Temple paper is Crowley setting um, Jones an exam for the grade of Zealotor. Mm. Um, and this is like 1913. He's, a he's aiming for Zealotor in 1918. And then uh, in 1916, he's taking the, uh, well, it doesn't say taking the Oath of the Abyss in, the, in this paper, but says that uh, proclaimed his intention to claim the grade of 8-3. So maybe he, he did take the Oath of the Abyss much earlier. And then when we see 1916, he's been proclaiming his, attention, uh, his intention to take the Oath. Because mm -hmm. the, the, the Oath of the, the Abyss itself is uh, to see every... Uh, interpret every phenomenon as a particular dealing of God with my soul uh, is uh, is one of the um, most famous articles, but I think there's a few things you have to mm -hmm. sign off on. Uh, now, he does say that after his um, uh, great initiation on June 21st, 1916, 
that he becomes a neophyte and then says he never claimed any grade higher than neophyte. Mm. Um, but uh, uh, by which he means I never actually claimed to be an absissimus. I became an absissimus, <laughs> and then I pretended to still be a neophyte. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what you're referring to there is as soon as he gets past the abyss, he uh, initially has this... Um, uh, uh, I guess he starts having realizations that seem to align with him having bypassed Crowley on the path and gone straight to Ipsissimus, which is the top of the tr- the very tippy top of the tree. And um, so uh, he's he's got this quandary that he's grappling with where he's convinced that he's seeing evidence that he's advanced further than he was intending to. And, um, of course, Crowley's telling him just to focus on the work of the uh, master of a temple. And um, meanwhile, there's this whole idea that um, he initially thought that he was going to become a master of a temple specifically to enable Crowley to become a nine equals two. Yeah, this seems like a very bad way to start. When I proclaimed my intention of claiming the grade of 8-3 or master of the temple on June 21st in 1916 in the city of North Vancouver, British Columbia, I did so because I thought that his master theory on needed Nemo, um, one of the titles of the 8-3, in order to fill that office, in order that he might fully attain to his 9-2. So... Uh, he, he's uh, claiming uh, sort of a humility here that he didn't actually, uh, he wasn't actually after the grade of master of the temple. He didn't necessarily think he was ready for it, or although that's me uh, contextualizing. Uh, uh, but but for some reason, his primary motive is just to uh, fill the office so his master can move on to the mm. next place, which seems to me a, a bad motive, <laughs> but, uh, um, but, but there you are. And, uh, and so, uh, and this happens, he proclaims this in, on June 21st, 1916, he claims that the details of the initiation which followed are recorded in another place. Um, but then, uh, uh, a paragraph immediately before what I read, he said, Hardly a word of the experience then undergone has been recorded. In fact, it is all, that is also true to some extent of the initiation on June 21st, 1916, the record of which I am only now trying to put into to yeah. writing. <laughs> so uh, within one paragraph, he, he says, uh, he says, he, ma- he makes two sort of confusing uh, errors Maybe, or maybe I'm just not understanding, but uh, June 21st, 1916 is when he decides to become a master of the temple, but June 21st, 1916 is also when he undergoes the great initiation. So he decides to become a master of the temple in my reading, and then attains the great master of the temple in the same day. Uh, uh, never writes anything about it, but then tells you that the, the complete record is is somewhere else, um, and then he and then he says yes. The very next day, um, uh, the curse of the magus came on to me quite unexpectedly, so that I could do not else but consider myself to be nine two, and then following a terrible struggle 
for I realize I now had failed so far to complete the attainment because of a certain glamour of the path, it w I then decided to give up all, even the least little thing, and made and I made certain pledges, which were afterwards faithfully kept, so that I gave up my business position and got down to spending the last cent of my money. Having made these pledges, it seemed quite certain that I was on the path of LF, which united Chokmah with the crown, and therefore beyond the glamour of the great magician. Uh, uh, I hoped that Therion had at that time attained to 10-1, and I was ready even then, if need be, to hold the grade of 9-2, uh, and to accept the curse thereof. So within one day, within, let's say, 72 hours, he decides to become a master of the temple, becomes a master of the temple, hangs out there for 20 hours, then becomes a magus, then mm -hmm. uh, makes a play at Epsisimus, uh, and then, you know, sort of falters and decides he's a neophyte. Mm -hmm. uh, but he doesn't really decide he's a neophyte. He decides uh, with humility to accept the title of neophyte just because he's into these reversals. So 10-1 becomes 110. And, uh, and then uh, that makes him a, a, a Buddha of compassion because he attained Nibbana and instead of letting himself die, he came back to to teach. <laughs> yeah, I think you were initially starting this discussion with uh, pointing out that you didn't really have, you didn't feel drawn to his writings initially. And uh, this is one of those cases where this is the type of thing that I feel like kind of makes, you know, would tend to turn me off of him is the fact that there's this false sincerity, it seems like, where um, in this case, um, he could be completely sincere for all I know, but it sounds very much like he's trying to have it both ways where he's like, well, uh, I know that I am actually, I've surpassed Crowley and I'm a 10 equals one and, you know, I, I am essentially God now, but uh, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to also be uh, as humble as possible. He's clearly being snarky in, in, in himself, within himself, but it's like, you know, it's it shows internal conflict at least and what the nature of that conflict is i don't know maybe it means uh um he knows that his claim uh his claims are dubious and doesn't fully trust himself uh and uh and so he's he's hedging uh, maybe it means that he's just intimidated by his master and knows his master won't buy it. So mm -hmm. he doesn't, he doesn't want to like have that conversation. We'll see later in the paper how he sort of like dances around the edges of it with Crowley to try to confirm his instincts here. And we'll see later various bits and pieces from his record, uh, which are not recorded at the time, but recorded two years later in 1918, uh, where he describes something and it's unclear to me whether he's trying to describe his experience of crossing the abyss or some experience he's had subsequent to that because he talks about initiations coming on him again uh which is not weird like you can have uh um uh, these abyssal experiences again and again and again, that's okay. Uh, one way of thinking of the experience of crossing is, is of perfecting your samadhi. And so if that's how you think of it, then you would want to make samadhi regularly on different objects and stuff after that. Um, but uh, the way he describes the crossing of the abyss experience, if that is indeed what he's trying to lay out in this paper, is very, very weird to me. And mm -hmm. I can say more about that later, but trying to lay out this story, 
of what's happening with the initiation and how Crowley sort of, uh, uh, and how he feels about it and how Crowley sort of feels about it is the, uh, the sort of thrust of this whole, whole diary entry that takes place on, uh, September 2nd in 1918. So the first big chunk of this paper, uh, is, is kind of trying to trace out the story of his initiation and, and sort of how weird it was. And, uh, when does this, um, when is he hospitalized? Is that maybe sort of in those three days too? No, I think it uh, kind of bleeds into that. So those three days were in 1916, and I think the hospitalization situation happens in 1917. Okay. And it's, as I say, it sort of seems to blend into it. I think there's like, he's referring to being on a train or oh, a steamer, uh, which I guess is a ship. Um, and he's, he's, uh, he's having various experiences of this initiation while he's on the steamer and he's, uh, uh, that kind of blends into the, uh, finding himself among all the enlightened Buddhas and whatnot. Uh, but in reality, he's surrounded by all the lowest filth. I see. Because here, when he says the curse of the, the curse of the great of the Magus came upon him, like the day after his abyssal crossing, um, uh, he uh, he then later says that uh, that that that's part of him. Uh, yes, having done this, I felt myself to be one with the Buddhas of compassion, and returned to Sor R as elsewhere recorded. Again, he keeps saying elsewhere recorded, but he also says that nothing has been written down. So I'm very confused. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's mixed up with a lot of other information, and this is one of the things that um, I found daunting about this approaching this paper is just trying to find a cohesive way of uh, approaching it is a little tricky. Um, it's a lot of, it, it's really interesting. And if you're at all grounded in, in basic, uh, hermetic Kabbalah and, uh, Thelemic Kabbalah and whatnot, especially, then, uh, it's, it's pretty fascinating because it's where that whole, you know, the, the word L, uh, becomes so very important, not just that, but the idea of not and God both simultaneously existing simultaneous and that being somehow intrinsically important to the Lima is uh, here really put forth uh, with startling clarity if you're able to read it, you know, without getting completely lost in the weeds. So maybe we should say something um, about the profundity of what Akkad's claim here is. Mm -hmm. um, so if you read Crowley's Liber 418, that's his record of crossing the abyss, which he does sort of by accident. He's just trying to get the rest of the Enochian Aethers, and then he discovers that one of the Aethers is representative of the abyss and guarded by a demon appropriate to the abyss, and uh, so he, he sort of gets across by magical means there, uh, and the date of that is something like 1909, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and it takes him, you know month and a half or something like that, doing one eighth year every day, uh, uh, with a few exceptions. There are sometimes when he's told to approach and go back. Um, and then, uh, the, that takes a while to, to stabilize and, um, and he needs to really understand, 
um, the mystery of sorrow, which is what he keeps telling Achad to that he should be working on now as an eight three. Um, and of course, this is after a whole lifetime of, of a career as a magician, going all the way up through the grades of the AA, getting your knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel, and then uh, and then uh, coming up to uh, uh, to the to the tip top of the tree where you have the first, second, and third uh, Sephira. Um, and so, and then here uh, in 1916, so five years later, um, is when. Achad says that he vol- he he voluntarily chooses to cross the abyss sort of as an act of generosity to give Crowley the gift of someone uh, who could be qualified to be a master of the temple so that he can then go and become a magus. So it takes Crowley five years to get from master of the temple to magus, and he needs to have uh, a number of internal experience, but also to have trained someone up behind him to fill that spot. And then once he's a magus, uh, there he, he um, gets cursed. There's something called the curse of the magus, and you can read about this in uh, the Kaczynski book, the Perturabo, it's called. Okay, yeah. And uh, the, um, there are, uh, Hokma is like the uh, second Sephiroth, but it's the the ninth grade, so which is why nine equals two. And so he has nine periods of 72 days of just being broken, miserable, (laughs) (laughs) um, that, uh, that, that take him through the grade of Magus before that's really internalized. And he can even think about, you know, what it might look like, uh, to approach the path of LF. And, and, and Achad is claiming that he decided to be master of the temple same day became master of the temple. Next day, Magus. Curse of the Magus. Next day, dealt, you know, done with the curse of the Magus <laughs> and ready to approach the path of the left and make a real run at the Absissimus. And then, uh, and then because he knows that that might be, once he realizes that Crowley has not, you know, in less than a week gone from <laughs> gone from Chokmah to Kether. Uh uh he uh he decides not to claim superiority over the great beast and 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 just just coyly flips the numbers around and claims <laughs> the the great of neophyte and uh and he says then the correspondence bet- uh, began between myself and Therion he admitted my grade of 83 but would not consider the possibility of the path of a left 10-1, etc., explaining my taking 110 again as my being cast out into Malkuth, although as a matter of fact, I made no claim except to neophyte because I was being a condescend, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, because I was being a, a passive-aggressive little <laughs> bitch. Uh, as he also realized that this must be the child prophesied unto him in Liber Legus and then claimed me as his son. So this letter was not wholly was not was not received very poor was not received poorly mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't say when this letter was was sent it just says there was correspondence between myself and therion and, and so something that happened must have been recorded whether it was fully dire, dire and and it must have been at least in crowley's es- estimation 
uh, uh, fairly clearly a, cr a good crossing of the abyss experience, at least mm -hmm. a, a period of internal silence long enough to, to sort of qualify or deep enough to sort of qualify. But then he says, he says, all that other stuff is, is sort of nonsense, you know, and later he'll <laughs> say, focus on the mystery of sorrow. Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, I think one of the things that's been argued with regard to this, um, this story is that, uh, Crowley was probably over eager and was um, doing what he was warned against doing in Libra 418. And one of the visions, there's the uh, um, Nemo is uh, portrayed as a man tending gardens, and he he cares not which one will be uh, the next Nemo. Uh, and so I've heard it uh, argued that Crowley, you know, uh, tried too hard to focus on on tending that one particular plant to the exclusion of all others. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's that way of looking at it. But then again, I mean, the way that this is being portrayed, I, I could totally see if if Crowley was overeager and maybe petty about the idea of him trying to um, be bigger than his britches kind of thing. Uh, you could you could expect Crowley to be, you know, they could well have had a falling out right then and there. And they, anything else. and they didn't. So no. that's that's a, a testament to the master's patience, yeah, uh, which I think is he, not his most famous quality. Yeah, he doesn't come <laughs> off as the, you know, the way that we tend to think of Crowley as being this impatient, yeah, um, hard-headed kind of person who's dismissive and that sort of thing. He's actually very patient and uh, doesn't come off at all that kind of way. I'm doing my, um, uh, well, I, I sort of recently finished my uh, student task for, uh, no, uh, I recently finished my probation for AA. Mm -hmm. And um, Congratulations. Uh, even as little as you understand it, you should proclaim everywhere your affiliation or whatever, <laughs> because uh, uh, secrecy is the enemy of truth or something like that. So I might as well say it. Uh, and and I, I got shit from my neophyte for the incompleteness of my record when I submitted it. <laughs> and, uh, um, and I, I cannot imagine like how, how this would have happened. <laughs> like, like, uh, <laughs> Charles Stanfield Jones crossing the abyss in one day with no record <laughs> and like the most important AA person, <laughs> the founder yeah. of the AA was like, Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so there might have been an uh, aspect of Crowley just being like, "No, this is great. I've got, I've got somebody to do this thing and to prove the AA system and to uh, uh, be my magical child." Or Jones misspeaks when he says, uh, "I'm only trying to write this down now." Maybe mm -hmm. that's a way of uh, a way of of trying to tell which story. Or maybe is it's true. with more clarity now that he's writing it than it was. You know, anything was, you know, maybe it was very scant what he did have. Yeah, because there's the there's there's so much when you're doing working with these primary source materials is is how to interpret things that, you know, what they say plainly is not always what they say, especially mm. when they internal contain internal contradictions like this. Uh, so maybe there was some sort of a some sort of a record. I hope so. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, he says nothing much happened. Uh, got this thing about the air being his balance. Uh, um, he equilibrated a bunch of a bunch of stuff. The path of Aleph and Shin. Uh, he was given a magical gesture. Now not clear to me. Again, I underlined that just because uh, um, 
just because it, it, it underlines the, the importance of, of, uh, uh, of of keeping records as you go like how could he let that how could he mm. let that pass especially if he was able to use it to change the weather and stuff like this as he mm-hmm. says um and then in march of 19 i sold all that i had in order to join therion uh, in new york uh um, and i think crowley later was not happy about that either he thought it was a a really bad idea oh, for him to do that a little bit rash maybe yeah i can't i wish i could remember the exact uh context of of him uh thinking that was a bad idea but i think that might have been you know later on when they started having falling out and all that uh, i think crowley in hindsight felt like i know that uh Chad is a musician he's like a piano player who works in like bars and lounges and, oh i just uh, thought of he was an accountant uh am i <laughs> i've never heard that he was a piano player but you're not, it doesn't mean that you're wrong. Mm-hmm. I just knew, um, <laughs> I think I looked up the, uh, Wikipedia, um, for, for him. And I think it, in, in early life, it basically says he was born on such and such a date and became an accountant. And I was like, wow, at zero. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Okay. So he's a bookkeeping person. Who the hell am I thinking of? I must be wrong about this. I'm not sure. This is one for the blooper reels, maybe. (laughs) But I thought, like, because he talks about, like, you know, living on the beach with his wife and three kids because they can't afford a home and shit. Yeah. And and then this thing where it says sold all he owned, I I was like, is that that because he needed the money to pay for the train ticket or because he just wouldn't want to be burdened by putting the stuff in storage? Like, I thought (laughs) he, he just seems to be perpetually broke. And I just always assumed that was because he was like this gig, this local small time gigging jazz pianist. I don't know yeah. where I heard that. Hmm. Uh, but if he's an accountant, then. Like I say, you're not necessarily wrong, but I don't recall anything related to the idea that he was a musician. So there's a possibility that might be spurious. I may, maybe I'm just thinking of someone else. It's possible. Christ. <laughs> oh, you might be thinking of Jazzy Jazzerson. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Crowley's other magical. Fratter track. Jazzy Jazzerson. Yeah. Fratter Get Down. <laughs> Fratter Feel the Fun. <laughs> uh, so the next thing, so, so, um, We've gotten as far as I sold all that I owned in order to join Therion in New York. And then I have the next paragraph highlighted as something to read out. Is there anything uh, leading up to that point that you want to go over before we move on to the next phase of our journey here? Uh, I mean, just just preceding that last sentence that you read, um, I will point out that the whole paragraph preceding that um, basically starts getting into the al and la or l and lo kind of uh ideas which apparently he initially started making in connection with his his name of Parzival, which he was his oto um, moniker so he started looking at the name Parzival backwards mm-hmm. and breaking it up into three separate uh sort of words and um, he lists them as low because the last two letters are A-L. So backwards would be L-A, the Hebrew word low or no or not. And so uh, then he, he ends up breaking the, uh, he has that followed by ziv or viz backwards, which is uh, enumerated to, uh, in Hebrew Kabbalah, 
enumerates to 106, and that equals to the word for attained. And followed by the final part of the word, which is par, but backwards would give rap, which equals crown. And uh, I failed to look these things up just to verify them, but uh, I guess we'll take his word for it for the time being. Well, yes, it's it's going to be important for what he uh, wants to talk about later. So he's just discovering more of the mystery of his own uh, motto, but some of this, uh, yeah, becomes getting those words in his mind, the yeah. low and the L. Crown and ashes, I should say. I missed that one, and that's that's actually important as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, so he says, um, he's going to visit Therion in New York and he says, quite recently, I was impressed to resign from the OTO and to withdraw my help in that direction. And having done so, I felt a wonderful calm and a realization of entering into the Tao. It was only then that I began to seriously consider that I had passed him on the path and attained 10-1. Also, the question arose as to whether he might not think so also. Yesterday I had a long talk with him, because he had raised the point that going back over past lives he had discovered that each new life was an added veil of the true self or star, and therefore the star was to be found by going back to the beginning. This seemed a new idea to him, but I could not help thinking of my experience, and how I had actually done this, and got there and become one with the final mystery in December of 1917. And yesterday, when I talked to him, he seemed on his guard, so that when I asked him about the mystery of change, he referred me to the fact, as he says, that in my grade 8-3 I should constantly apply myself to the mystery of sorrow. Then I suddenly asked him what he thought of the number 31, and where it should be placed on the tree of life, and he said, this number has to do with the identity of nothing and the trinity, and if anything refers to Ayin, or perhaps to Kether, but certainly to no lower Sephira. Then I thanked him and said no more. Um, and so the profundity of this is, uh, is that the number 31 uh, refers to Kether, which is the place where the ten one resides, the Epsissimus, the highest possible grade for a, uh, an AA initiate. And uh, Achad had recently been receiving Kabbalistic sort of inspiration that included interpretations of the number 31 as L and low. Um, but they were only to do with his name at this point. It seems like he hadn't started connecting to the book of the law and realizing the profundity of them yet. But but he's taking this uh, this as verification, you know, subtle verification mm -hmm. that he has in fact uh, um, attained the highest, surpassed his master on the path and attained the highest grade uh, possible to an AA initiate. Um, and possibly the highest grade possible to an incarnate being. If... Uh, um, so, you know, I think one can have inspiration of, about numbers at any time. It doesn't necessarily mean, oh, if I have an inspiration about, you know, uh, 65, like a new idea about what that might mean, I'd, I wouldn't immediately start claiming that I had attained knowledge. The only way I could have possibly know this is, is that I'd attained the knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel or something. Mm. And when he says that he had actually gone back to the beginning... 
um, it's not clear what he means by this. Within the context of this paper, the only thing we have is this 10-1-1-10 thing, which is purely symbolic. It, it's about what grades he's attaining. It's not like what Crowley's saying about deep paths, life regression, going all the way back to your first incarnation as a human being and seeing what that guy was up to so that you could then <laughs> have a pattern on which to, like one one experience is much, much more profound than the other. And Akkad doesn't seem capable of realizing this. Yeah, it seems, I mean, he had this uh, vision, essentially, I guess we can call it, that he was laying out where, I don't know if we missed it. This is the thing, it's so easy to get lost in this paper. I don't know if we already passed it or if he's coming coming up on it, but he has this vision of everything wheeling back to the beginning of the creation of the universe. And then he has to, uh, his job is to set creation back in motion again. Yeah, no, that's going to come in the third section when he tries to lay out something about what the initiation was actually like. Yeah, there's sort of three large diary chunks in here. And the first one is about the story of his relationship with Crowley and what he claims uh, happened to him with his great initiations. Uh, then the second one is uh, his uh, analysis of Lieber L. And then I think the third one is where he actually attempts to give some account of his own initiatory experience. Mm. I may get, I may have section two and three backwards. That's the trick of, that's the trickiness of uh, having a piece like this, which is really diary entries and then writing after the fact to try and uh, add to them, not necessarily clarify them, but add to them. It's a, uh, it's a difficult, you know, it's like you, you're reading the, uh, the Enochian, um, John D's diaries, uh, or D John D's manuscripts. Um, a lot of it does make sense and has a linearity to it, but it's like, uh, there's, yeah, in following it out and following, trying to find, you know, uh, any changes that were made through the course of things, it's very difficult because it's not all strictly recorded, at least in the papers that we have. So it's hard to know what's, you know, reading diaries is not an easy task for recreating an actual history. Reading diaries is not, is not an easy task to begin with, but when the diary entries are like um, written two years too late and mm -hmm. in, uh, and in a, a very, uh, in sort of an inside speak, you know, where mm -hmm. we've been doing uh, Philema stuff long enough that I, I think we understand uh, at least most of the buzzwords. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so that that solves that problem for us. Um, but the uh, but yeah, the 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 fact that Akkad may be misremembering large large yeah. sections of this stuff too, or assuming it taking it for granted, like for instance, what you were just referring to, where he's talking about going back to previous incarnations and whatnot. And he's referring to it as if he's just been talking about it or something like that. And it's sort of like, maybe that's included in that later vision that's described, but it's because it's all sort of out of order and it's not clear. It doesn't all come together as easily for us as third parties. I have a question here. Is this uh, about... Is, the, is this uh, a couple more paragraphs down where he talks about the great magician? Does he mean uh, the path of Aleph, the great magician, the fool? The oh, oh no, the great magician would be the path of Beth, mm -hmm. uh, um, connecting uh, Bina to, to Kether. 
any is does he is this about um is this a whole passage about Kabbalah or is this um more about his relationship with Crowley because I could also imagine someone calling Crowley the great magician yeah. uh, and the first thing the first five words are the great magician denies me which he's just explained how the great magician denies his <laughs> his attainment so I don't I don't know what this means uh, but it seems to be important, so I'm going to read it anyway. The great magician denies me, saying that I am not I.A. or Nemo 8.3, and in this he fulfilleth his office of cutting off the understanding from the crown, which is God, Ail. In this very thing he is the incarnation of the mystery of change. Ail, Kether, is reflected into Chokmah as Lo, and the Magus looketh upon the crown along the path of Aleph, which is zero and perceiveth it not. The Magister Templi understands, for the word of Chokmah Lo is truly reflected into Bina as Ale, and therefore the Magus appeareth to him as God, where the crown, the true Ale, is reflected through the path of Bith to Lo, and he sees nothing in that direction because of the lies of the great illusion of Maya, the magician. But he striveth by Deleth to the Magus, who is the great deceiver. Thus it is that above the abyss a thing is only true in so far as it is its own opposite. This is the final and complete understanding of the mystery of the grade given to me now. Uh, <laughs> at 2.38 p.m. Uh, for never before have I seen things thus. Um, and so... Uh, there is some profundity here, uh, um, and we could go through this and try to try to tease out the meaning of the uh, of the argument. Um, but since it refers to the picture of things above the abyss, I don't know how yeah, helpful I think it would be. The biggest takeaway here is below the abyss, we have the workings of normal consciousness existing. Above the abyss, it's beyond our normal consciousness. And so uh, things don't work the same way. And we, it's, we can't... So anything we talk about right now is going to be speculative. But uh, the interesting thing that's coming out of this is uh, especially the idea of reflections. We have this idea of God and not. We have the idea uh, being reflected, going from being God to being not, depending on where you are within that um, highest triad. And interestingly enough, as Crowley was alluding to, um, quoted by Akkad early, just uh, earlier, um, L or Lo both equate to 31, and 31 is, uh, graphically, it's a 3 and a 1, so it's sort of like 3 and 1, and it's kind of talking about the, the, the supernal triad. This is interesting here, too, this idea that Chokma uh, uh, is is low and Kether is ale and then Bina is either low or low or ale depending on whether it's receiving Chokmo mm -hmm. or receiving Kether um, because as sort of the mediator between the supernal triad and the rest of the tree of life um, uh, Bina has to kind of uh, be flexible enough to receive and transmit um, whatever the two the two upper spheres have to have to have to give her um and this is another reason why uh Bina is the seat of the holy whore in in Thelema 
Uh, horror meaning like she just takes all comers. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, when you're coming up the abyss, it's the crossing the abyss. It's the love of Babylon that draws you across the abyss. And I guess this is showing how coming down, uh, she's equally flexible in how she receives um, the mm. the light of God, whether it's from the single point or from the um, or from the sort of dualistic you know reflections the um but what i the reason i underlined this to read i think initially is that in liber five we practiced that ritual for a while right Mm -hmm. and when you're facing west uh, in that ritual you say behind me the powers of before me the powers of low behind me the powers of ale and my and my right hand, the powers of low. And my left hand, the powers of L. So are you sitting at the Doth point uh, doing that ritual with mm. with Kether behind you, the whole tree of life before you, and then Chokma on your left and and, uh, and Binah on your Binah on your right? Or yeah, Binah was, both, on, both beside you and before you because I was, she's yeah, the expanse of the of, Great uh, Sea? I was thinking of it in terms of like you've got uh, Babylon before you and Nuit to your right. So those are the low points Mm -hmm. and then you have l with the two um masculine points so um, i always associated that with uh, the positive and negative in in cabalistic terms but uh yeah that's an interesting interesting to to relate it to the idea of being at death potentially yeah and again thinking of it as being like either a ritual of drawing in the energies of the new aeon you know you're at that point filtering the light down from uh from heaven into the world but also uh daath is the you know is the fallen sephira and so think of it being a ritual for the invocation of evil that's also mm-hmm. uh you know the way the mag- the word of the magus is 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 true but always misunderstood there's something about that that makes sense for the rit- a ritual like that to be performed from that point mm-hmm. and the uh, the energy of it the 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 fact that you're supposed to be dancing and stuff there's like yeah. a, there's there's a um sort of i mean depending on what kind of a dancer you are there could potentially be quite a chaotic mm-hmm. <laughs> uh quite quite a chaotic mess going on on there like like as <laughs> if uh um the demon sea were kind of at at work mm-hmm. so where to next he does start to put together the idea that he uh, sees himself as the magical child. And Crowley sees him as the magical child, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, the best evidence for this is um, is this key of Al and Lo. Right at the beginning here, He said, Crowley says, Your key opens palace. Uh, Libra 220 has unfolded like a flower. All solved. Even... Uh, chapter 2 verse 76 and chapter 3 verse 47 uh and then uh 3 for uh 276 is the numerical code and then 347 is this line in this line drawn is a key which are two of the most perplexing parts and crowley says achad has solved them even though achad later says he hasn't (laughs) (laughs) um so more more confusion uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, but there's, uh, there are good reasons, uh, even though I'm, I'm skeptical that Achad was successful in his, uh, in his crossing, um, a lot of the stuff that he brings back with him about, uh, the interpretation of Liberal, 
I mean, it's the standard way we interpret it now, thinking of Nuit as being Ayin and uh, Hadith as being Kafir, and at least in some schools, this has become sort of the standard Mm-hmm. Uh, the standard Kabbalistic model. So yeah, and there's a lot. I mean, you can pick out a lot of stuff in here uh, on the subject to meditate upon, and it's really worthwhile meditating upon. There's a lot you can get out of that. Yes, here what he gets in all of these words is um, is the is he starting to realize um, the the ubiquity of this self not self dualism. Uh, where there is only one God and Muhammad is his prophet, uh, even though that seems to be a monistic statement. By including the prophet, you're setting up the uh, the self not self dualism. Um, you're also talking. He also talks about the mystery of ninety three for. Uh, Kether is 31, Chokmah is 31, and Bina is 31, which adds to 93. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is because of that pattern of L's and lows that we were talking about. Um, uh, Crowley will, uh, either Ahad or Crowley will adapt, adapt this in the next couple of years before um, uh, when Lieber V is written to um, be L, low, uh, but um, but he's he's starting to put some of that stuff together. Uh, he has the enumeration of his name, Achad, which is thirteen, being uh, another reversal, and, and and talking about the relationship between uh, unity and love. Uh, uh, Allah, the Magus ninety two. Allah, of course, he he says because the Book of the Law's spelling is defunct. The you don't need to include the H. The um, Aleph, Lamad, Lamad, Aleph uh, is enough to spell Allah so that the, even the name of the Mohammedan God also talks about this uh, positive-negative dualism. And, uh, and he's, he's just going to go on about that for a little while. He reverses his own uh, initiation name, which had been V-I-O-O-I-V and now is O-I-V-V-I-O, and this starts to think of this idea as no God, as being, mm, is this, when does it become, when does he get to the point where it's important for uh, the book of the law? Yeah, here, a few paragraphs down. The first thing he says, uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 46, nothing is the secret key of this law. 61, the Jews call it, I call it 880,418. Uh, do you want to say something about that? Yeah, so he's uh, immediately going to explain that uh, um, Partzival, his uh, moniker for the OTO, is uh, 880 and 418. So in so far as it's uh, eight letters, the initial P is uh, enumerated to 80, and the overall enumeration of the word of the name is 418. I think in our uh, Reguli talk, we weren't sure about how he got to that, but we didn't. There was a few different names that we weren't sure how they all added up and all that sort of thing. But I guess if we weren't getting this one, neither of us was considering the Z in parts of all to be um, in Hebrew taken as uh, Tzadi. Yeah, Zadi instead of Zion, uh, because that's the only sort of counterintuitive move you have to make, and everything adds up just lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the uh, something else he does here that's that's pretty neat 
is because Parzival, we talked about before how Parzival is the fool because he's dressed in motley clothes or mm-hmm. whatever uh, so that he doesn't become a knight by accident. <laughs> um, uh, and so that, so, uh, so that, that makes him a cute representative of the fool card who, um, even though it's called the fool, it's the man, it's man starting out on his adventure. Right. Mm. Uh, um, so he says, parts of all is the fool, which on the tarot is Aleph, even though it's the card number zero, Aleph makes it one. Um, and so if, uh, the Jews have 61, 61, the Jews have it, but they have the half and none by the book, uh, 61 it, being Ayin, Ayin, uh, which they, that's what they call nothing. Uh, or that's the word, that's their, one of their words for the, the veils of not Ayin Sof, that sort of primordial non-stuff of creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Nuit is saying how this stuff that is kind of my jam, you know, the veil of heaven, uh, 61, the Jews call it, I and Sof, uh, or 61 is just I and, um, uh, but they have the half and none by the book. And so, uh, parts of all is, uh, saying that the other half should be one, uh, so he can get to 62, um, and then have uh, mysteries applicable to 62, 62, which is twice 31, and shows Alan Lowe. Uh, and that's, I think that's okay, because especially since the first, the first move in manifestation, after you have Kether, you immediately, you know, have the path of Aleph down to Chokmah. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, like, inspiration of... Um, of the, of the ion. So if, if, you know, if, uh, Nuit is 61 and, Ke- and, uh, Hadith is Kether, that makes him one. And so you add hmm. 61 and one that completes the, the formula and inspires the, the sort of movement of, uh, of, of the light down the tree, that lightning flash, which begins in, in Aleph. Um, on the path of the left, I, I had at some point been trying to figure this out. Um, so, uh, 880, 418, if you look at verse 8, uh, you get cobs is in the coup, not the coup in the cobs. So, again, this relationship between self and not self, the um, the deep identity of the individual, the interior star, is within the light not the light, you know, uh, it's not, the, the it's not the light house. that's the self, yeah. self. Um, and so, uh, this supports, uh, suggestion about, uh, low and al. Um, and it's also tangentially, um, the reason why Thelema, the, the main point of contention between Thelema and, um, uh, existentialism, because for existentialists, um, existence precedes essence, so you have your, um, you would have your, your, whatever you were, the light, your, you know, your body radiating out, be behaving in the world. And then your behavior would make up your essence. Uh, whereas for, um, uh, for Thelema, we were, we're essentialists. So we think you come into the world with something and then that something creates a life around you. And that's important because, um, these are two, at least for my money, 
the two major movements inspired by Nietzsche. Nietzsche is the prophet of the existentialists, but he's also the prophet of the, of 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 Thelema, uh, an early prophet of Thelema. So it's important to know um, to know where the the difference of interpretation is, and mm-hmm. this is this is a fundamental mental thing for for not getting distracted by Sartre. Uh, verse 80 is going to be uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 14. Um, now let the or be a veiling of this shrine. Now let the light devour men and eat them up with blindness. Cool. Uh, again, we're um, uh, getting sort of overcome. If for verse 61... Uh, 61, the Jews call it, we have this long section that says, But to love me is better than all things. If under the night sty in the desert, thou presently burnest mine incense before me. So really mm-hmm. very much about uh, Nuit's mystery and the relationship of the one with the all, because it's mm-hmm. it's how, this is, this is Crowley's instruction, a prophecy about how he's actually going to cross the abyss. Right under the night stars mm. in the desert, presently burn us by an instance before me. This yeah. is the the um, uh, the working that receives four eighteen, and then the last number eight eighty four hundred and eighteen. Mm. So if you want to understand cool. uh, the mystery of this passage, sixty one the Jews call it. I call it eight eighty four hundred and eighteen. Uh, and and Achad's right. They're all verses that have to do with the individual being dissolved in the infinite. Al and 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 low uh um self not self dualism and what becomes for crowley uh probably already is for crowley the zero equals two equation mm-hmm. so yeah i mean crowley did have that zero equals two equation from very early on before having uh, re- uh received the book of the law uh where did he first um discuss that it was like in a pr- paper i think it was in he refers to uh, people to a note in ontology, mm. Bereshit, a note in ontology, a lot. Um, when he wants to talk about the the sort of model of the universe and how like something comes out of nothing and then uh, the relationship of the aspirant to his God and how those things then, then resolve back to zero. It's his sort of model of... Um, uh, model of how attainment works uh but uh but then Bereshit talks about the that paper talks about um the the what he calls the three great schools of philosophy which is like monism dualism and i think nihilism uh monism being like a catholic perspective where um where god sort of is everything or maybe like a, a hindu perspective where like if God makes the universe, it has to, he has to make it from himself because he's the only substance available. Um, and then the dualist perspective um, being like, I guess, like creator-creature. Um, and then the nihilistic perspective being the, the Buddhist perspective where, you know, the, the, the truth is that nothing exists and you just want to want to get mm-hmm. back to that because you're mistaken in sorrow. But he tries to, tries to reconcile all three of those doctrines and talk about... Um, to talk about what you can sort of understand. <laughs> Do you mind if I read a little passage from Libra 418? Please. Uh, I'm thinking this actually pertains very strongly to uh, what we have here as well, and uh, Achad does actually refer to it also at some point. Uh, it's the, it's from the fifth ether, which is uh, where Crowley 
directly encounters the uh, order of the inner order of the AA, the Silver Star. And uh, now I come to the top of the mountain, and the last pylon opens into a circular hall with other pylons leading out of it, each of which is the last pylon of a great avenue. There seem to be nine such pylons, and in the center is a shrine, a circular table supported by marble figures of men and women, alternate white and black. They face inwards, and their buttocks are almost worn away by the kisses of those who have come to worship that supreme god, who is the single end of all those diverse religions. But the shrine itself is higher than a man may reach. But the angel that was with me lifted me, and I saw that the edge of the altar, as I must call it, was surrounded by holy men. Each has in his right hand a weapon, one a sword, one a spear, one a thunderbolt, and so on. But each, with his left hand, gives the sign of silence. I wish to see what is within their ring. One of them bends forward, so that I may whisper the password. The angel prompts me to whisper, There is no God. So they let me pass, and though there was indeed nothing visible therein, yet there was a very strange atmosphere, which I could not understand. Suspended in the air there is a silver star, and on the forehead of each of the guardians there is a silver star. It is a pentagram, because, says the angel, three and five are eight, three and eight are eleven. There is another numerical reason that I cannot hear. And as I entered their ring, they bade me stand in their circle, and a weapon was given unto me. And the password that I had given seems to have been whispered round from one to the other, for each one nods gravely as if in solemn acquiescence, until the last one whispers the same words in my ears. But they have a different sense. I had taken them to be a denial of the existence of God. But the man who says them to me evidently means nothing of the sort. What he does mean, I cannot tell at all. He slightly emphasized the word there. And there's a little bit of a reference to the idea that uh, he, uh, he attempts to guess that maybe in that individual place is no God, but that's because God is in all things, is all around us and that sort of thing, but he's not clear on it. He doesn't have a clear conception at this moment. Sure, emphasizing the word there, like... There is no God. There is no... Yeah. Um, I mean, there's in the Book of the Law, it also, uh, Hadid says something like, there is no God. I am alone and there is no God where I am. Yeah. Is that Hadith or Nui? Hadith says that, yeah. So um, uh, that's, it makes it even clearer. There is no God where I am. There may be some gods somewhere else. <laughs> um, but uh, I like the fact that it's like there is no God. There is low L. Yeah. But, uh, but, but uh, yeah, you, uh, I, for some reason I was remembering that passage slightly emphasized the word is. There is no God, like as if, <laughs> like as if, no God was the name of the deity that that positively is. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, there is is there a is interpretation. No <laughs> um, uh, it's like pointing to a painting or something. It's like if you want to know what the image of God is, 
you know, there is no God. There is. There it is. Thanks for listening. Watch for part two of our discussion on Libra 31. Look for Toronto Thelema on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Watch for events in the city. And join us again in the darkly splendid abodes. Nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two. All right, maybe we can. This just says, "Thou shall obtain the order and value of the English alphabet." So maybe I've made a mistake. No, <laughs> uh, oh, I, I was going to say maybe you're the magical child. But, uh... <laughs> uh, uh, more stuff for the cutting room floor.